Welcome. We're so glad that you guys are a, have been a part of our Wednesday nights here online. Um, huge, huge thank you to uh, uh, Elijah and Amanda uh, for being a part of this uh, this Wednesday night and and uh, helping us uh, stay connected. Um, we've we've said it every week. We've said it. Joe said it. I've said it. I know Pastor Ben has said it. Um, how difficult um, a season we have found ourselves in, and yet today that difficult season of yesterday and last week and the week before seem a distant memory because um, life has taken another turn into what has become an extremely unsafe, scary reality for uh, too many people across our country. And so uh, I'm going to take a minute just to pray and then we're going to talk. God's good. Um, God's timing of giving me first Peter, um, months ago has proven once again, God's timing is perfect. And so we're going to talk, uh, today, uh, about what we're dealing with. So would you join me in prayer? Lord, thank you for these moments that we share. I, uh, would venture to say that the number of thoughts and opinions of all of those who are listening, um, are as varied as the number of people. And yet as, as we sit here today, my hope and my prayer is that your people who are called by your name would do what you've asked them to do during these difficult times. And I pray that you would remind us to be united in that. Help us to understand through our conversation today what's at stake. And so, Lord, would you would you speak to us through your spirit, through your word? Would you bring us to the necessary understanding that you would want your people to have so that we can share the hope of the gospel in a meaningful way? And I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So life got exponentially uh, more difficult and complicated on May the 25th, 2020. George Floyd was videoed um, being arrested and subsequently abused to the point that he lost his life um, somewhere around 1030 on May the 25th, and our nation has fallen into um, a war zone. As of last night, 40 cities across the United States had curfews in place, many of them not regarded. The National Guard has been called in to duty and activated in 23 states across our nation. Last night was the sixth night of riots and protests, looting, fires, more people losing their life and more than that, losing their livelihood because of what's happening. And the reality is it's been building toward this. Uh, We've been building toward this for a long time. And listen, I'm not, uh, just in full disclosure, I'm I'm not advocating for right, left, Democrat, Republican, I'm not advocating for black, white. 
my sole desire is to make sure that as followers of Jesus, we live our lives in a way that never discredits the message that Jesus asked us to bring. And I know that Peter's writings in 1 Peter chapter 3 fit that perfectly today. Because the reality is, is that we've, uh, we've got a challenge ahead of us. We've got a challenge ahead of us in regard to, you know, how is the church supposed to respond here? How are we supposed to take a stand? And I have spent the better part of the last five days um, spending time with my, um, with my 17-year-old daughter and my 24-year-old daughter trying to understand uh, and listen to what they're dealing with in regard to what's happening in our world today. And um, it's, a, it's a difficult place uh, that the church finds itself. And the reality is, is that even though it's a difficult place, God has not been silent about how, she, how we should act in, in regard to this. Um, you know, we, we just stand on the precipice in my mind, of an amazing opportunity to bring light into the dark world. And instead of arguing and debating about who brought the dark, right? Because it's just a chicken or an egg conversation. Because it's not about a black and white issue. Ultimately, in God's plan, it's about a broken a broken race of people, a nation of people. It's a brokenness of the image bearers of God, whether they're black, white, whether they're brown, whether they're not. The reality is that all men created by God, all women created by God are created in the image of God, created as image bearer. And the only thing that changed that isn't black and isn't white, right? The thing that changed image bearers was sin. The ability to have the knowledge of good and evil long enough that we'd ultimately choose evil. And into that environment, we have developed every known kind of evil that exists in the world and in the hearts of men and women today. And the reality is, if we as the church of Jesus spend all of our time on... Listen, I I don't have Facebook... I don't have Instagram. I don't have Twitter. I don't have any social media accounts. Well, that's not true. I guess I have a LinkedIn account, if that counts. Um, But I have listened to more tweets and more posts um, from my daughters and other people during this season than I have probably in 10 years. And the reality is that if we're going to get involved in the debate as to whose fault this is, When it comes to this black-white, the video of a man being unfairly, unfairly murdered, unfairly, you know, having his life taken away from him to all of the burning and all of the rioting and the deaths that have happened. If we're going to spend all of our time debating those issues in the church, as the church, we're going to miss out on arguably one of the greatest opportunities we have to actually share the message of hope. And my hope and my prayer is that through this conversation that we have tonight, through Peter's writings, the Holy Spirit will bring conviction to you and to me about how we should act. We talk about, my, 
I, I hear people say, you know, these things are good because they, they create a conversation. We're able to have a conversation. And the reality is this, that having the conversation in the circumstances that we find ourselves in has not been helpful. We're, we're wandering into the seventh day and night of potential riots and protest, both peaceful and violent. And the conversation that we want to have isn't being had at all. The conversation that we say this is going to spark and conversation will lead us to change isn't happening at all. Because now all we're arguing about now is what's happening with the riots, what's happening with the protest, and our response to those who criticize the, the riots and the protest and the ignoring of what happened to George Floyd. And we find ourselves in this circular conversation. And the problem is, is that the church gets into that. We get into it through our posts on social media. We get into it through our, our responses to our neighbors and our friends. And in reality, it's just not helpful. And here's why. Listen to what, this is, listen, the context of First Peter, right? If this is the first time you've, you've joined us, welcome. We're glad you're here. I'm not, this isn't about me giving a speech what I think is right or wrong, right? There are just some undeniable facts in our world today. And if anybody thinks that, that racism isn't real, then you've just chosen to bury your head in the sand. It's, it's not only real, it's born of evil in the heart of men and women. There's nothing in God's DNA or economy that allows for racism. Uh, we see it in scripture all the time whether it's Jew and Gentile, right? Or whether it's another nation versus another nation. We've seen it from the beginning of time. Racism is sinful. It's wrong. And it's, and it's birthed into the heart of, of sinful human beings. And the reality is, as Christian people, we should never, ever, ever condone it, participate in it, train or teach our children generationally how to feel that way. Because if every man, not according to the Constitution of the United States, which we have completely ignored, but according to God's word, that every being created is created in the image of God, then at its very core, it's wrong. No matter what your grandma, your grandpa, your mom, your dad, your teacher, no matter what your pastor may have told you, the reality is that seeing anybody less than God's creation as an equal is sinful. And so anybody that perpetuates racism is wrong. There's no debating it. It's not a debatable issue if you trust in God's word and believe in its authority. It's not. But this isn't a referendum on, on black and white. This is an opportunity for the church to do, to do something different. To do something different into how we respond to what's going on in the world. Listen, the, the thing that the world needs less of is people who are willing to argue about which side we think is right and do what we're going to learn tonight about, about how we should act. Listen to the, I want to read a couple passages to get started here. First uh, Peter 2. I was telling you that the context of First Peter is really simple. The context is Peter writes this letter to primarily Gentiles, right? Non-Jewish people who've come to faith in Christ and have basically been persecuted. They were lied about 
Basically, they were called terrorists that Nero blamed them for the burning of Rome when most people believed that Nero himself set fire to it. These people were unfairly blamed, labeled as terrorists and persecuted away from their homeland. And now they find themselves in a land that's not home to them, right? They find, him in the, they find themselves in these cities and towns still running, still persecuted, still marginalized. Sound familiar, right? These people, right, persecuted falsely, right, by these Romans, and yet Peter writes this letter to them that honestly, I think fits our day and time better than I could have ever imagined. Listen to what Peter says in 1 Peter 2.12. And this is sort of the jumping off spot, right? In regards to what goes on, listen to what he says. Talking to persecuted, mis, mislabeled, falsely accused people. He says, live such good lives. Christians, in that situation, live such good lives among the pagans. That though they accuse you of doing wrong, and there's tons of accusations flying around. Listen to what it says. They may see your good deeds or your good actions and glorify God on the day he visits us. Listen to verse 15 and 16. This even gets more, more connected to our world today. For it, listen to this. For it is God's will. This is the way God wants it done. This is God's will that by doing good, you and I should silence. Listen, the last thing that we're doing anymore, the last thing that we're doing right now as a church is, is silence ignorance. We're exacerbating it. So, listen, so many of us are posting inflammatory stuff on, on our social media accounts, not doing anything to silence the ignorant talk of foolish people. Instead, we're engaging in all of that conversation. Listen to what the next verse says. For we should live as free people, right? But do not use your freedom as a cover up for evil. Listen to the language in the world that we live in today. Live as God's slaves. As God's slaves. In a world, in our world, in our country, decimated by black and white issues. Peter's language is that you and I, as believers in Jesus, aren't to be engaging in a way that, that promotes foolish conversation among the pagans. Our lives should be lived in such a way as to silence that ignorant conversation. And how do you do it? You live as a slave to your master. And for Christians, for all of us who claim the name of Jesus... That master is God himself. And the reality is, is that we've got a great opportunity here, church. We've got a great opportunity to make a defense for the hope of the gospel that we have. But to do it, we're going to have to have things in our lives that are defensible, right? You know, we, we've got a dog in our house and I'm, I'm, I'm a huge fan of dogs. I'm just not a fan of making my home a doghouse. I call me crazy. I never wanted to be in the doghouse. And so it's, that just as much love and as loyalty as they bring, it does not trump the fact that I don't want my home to be a doghouse. And when you bring a dog into your home, 
It just becomes a doghouse to me. And here's the thing about my dog, right? Here's the thing about every dog. The reality is this, is that when you, when you walk into your uh, home and you have a dog in there, you immediately know, right? You immediately know when, when these people have taken a position or when the dog has taken a position that's indefensible, right? When they've done something that they can no longer do or defend. The reality is, listen, in so many of our cases as a church, we take positions during these seasons that we can't defend, right? We take positions that we can't defend as Bible-believing followers of Jesus. Oh, we take, listen, we take positions that we can defend as a Republican. We take positions that we can defend as a Democrat. We take positions that we can defend as a conservative or a liberal. We take positions that we can defend based on the Constitution. But we take positions we can't defend biblically. And if we're ever going to see the world change, we're going to have to start surrendering as slaves to God in these moments so that God can do greater things than we can imagine. Listen, our arguments about what's right and wrong, what's about... When it's so tied to our political agendas that the reality is it's not, it's not helpful. It's not helpful. And my hope is that we can become helpful because our world is crumbling. Our nation is on fire. People are scared. No longer is the coronavirus even front and center. We now have a a nation divided racially once again, right? Nearly 50 years after Martin Luther King, right? We, we're, we're, we're as divided or more divided than we've ever been. The church has a place to have defendable actions. I don't want to be like the dog who's got a, who's done something in such a way that I can't defend it when I'm approached by it. Peter addressing a group of people who've been abused. Right, who've been persecuted, who've been run out of their homes, who've been marginalized, who've been lied about, right? Who've been who've who've had their lives completely upended and now find themselves foreigners and sojourners in a strange land. Here's what he said to him You need some defensible positions. Right? And so here's his first defensible position. You need to have defensible relationships. I'm just going to read a few scriptures here, right? To just remind you and I of the power of relationships and how we as Christians need to be in a position to have them defendable. Listen to these scriptures. First Peter 2, 13, right? And 14 say this, submit yourselves again to Christians, right? Especially persecuted, marginalized Christians by the Roman government, one of the most evil governments in the history of the world, right? Submit yourselves to the Lord or for the Lord's sake, where? To every human authority, whether to the emperor as the supreme authority or to governors who are sent by him to punish those who do wrong and to commend those who do right. Submit yourself to every authority, right? How about this one? It goes on in, in verse uh, 18, slaves. Servants, right? We, we, um, you know, we like to transition that word into employees in 2020, right? It's not really what he's talking about here, right? Slaves in reverent fear of God. 
submit yourselves to your masters. I mean, these are, these are such hard words. Not only to those who are good and considerate, but Christian. A Christian who says, my life is not my own. I've been bought by the blood of Jesus. My life is to be lived by faith in Jesus now. I'm going to deny myself and take up my cross. Listen to what he says. If you're a slave, submit yourselves in all reverent fear to God, right? Submit yourselves to masters, both good and considerate, but also to those who are harsh. Listen, listen to what he says about husbands and wives. He goes on in 1 Peter 3. Wives. In the same way, here's that word again, submit yourselves to your own husbands. So that if any of them do not believe the word, they may be won over without words by the behavior of their wives when they see the purity and the reverence of their lives. Once again, the power of a life lived in such a way to silence the ignorance of foolish men. Husbands. How about this one? Husbands, in the same way, be considerate as you live with your wives and treat them with respect as the weaker partner, as heirs with you of the gracious gift of life so that nothing will hinder your prayers. See, here's the reality. We've got relationships in our lives that we need to live in a way that we can defend as believers in Jesus. Listen, my dad served in the Air Force. Um, several of his family members served in the military. I did not. I am fully aware of my privilege to be an American. Um, not having traveled a ton, but having traveled to several places now in the world, I'm privileged to be an American. I'm privileged to be white to some degree. There were things in my life growing up that didn't make my life a privilege. Whether you're black or white, being poor is not a privilege. It comes with all kinds of challenges. And the reality is that you and I live in a world where we face all of these all of these different filters from where people have come from, right? We live in a place where we have all of these opportunities for some and no opportunities for others. And the reality is it's easy for all of us to pick a side, right? Pick a side and just start defending it. Based on what we think and what we feel and, and what we've seen and what we've experienced, we just pick a side and that becomes our side. The problem is, is when you lump Christians into that conversation, we lose, listen, we lose defensible positions because our goal isn't to make people more American. Our goal isn't to make people Republican. Our goal isn't to make people Democrat, right? Our goal is to see people come to faith in Jesus Christ. That's why you and I have to have a why that's anchored to something more important than politics, Right? Or more important than the, than the American flag. 
Our, our why has to go so much deeper. Paul said this, we no longer regard people in the flesh. We used to, but Paul said, we no longer regard people in the flesh. Why? Because at some point in time, the flesh will fall away and the soul will have to answer for the relationship with Jesus and that will determine their eternity. And the reality is that we have a greater opportunity to share the message of Jesus when we have defensible relationships. Right? Wives and husbands act to each other in such a way that your position is defendable. Not defendable based upon what you think is an absolute right and wrong morally, but by your good behavior. So that when we act in a way that silences the the ignorance of foolish men, we give people a chance to come to faith in Jesus Christ. Listen, I'm, I don't, you know, I don't know. I'm not, I'm not unproud to be an American. But I'm a lot more proud to be a follower of Jesus than I am an American. And I am 100% more committed to people coming to faith in Jesus Christ. And what I know is in the world that we live in that is broken in every country across this world. Because every man and woman and child, regardless of race and color, was made in the image of God and marred by the brokenness of sin. And the depth of the human the depth of evil in the human heart is incomprehensible, that we have a far greater need in our world to see people come to faith in Jesus than to believe with us politically, right? That our job as Christian people is to have defensible relationships. When you flaunt your arrogance and your your nose into the government because of your religious stance, you're wrong. And when you flaunt Right When you flaunt yourself as a believer and are unwilling to submit in relationships with husbands and wives and authority, we're wrong. And here's why. Listen to what First Peter chapter 8 and 9 say, or chapter 3 verse 8 and 9 say. He sums it up. Why all of the admonishment about relationships? Finally, all of you be like-minded. All of you, Christians. Imagine the impact that we would have in the world today if we as Christians would agree. Well, we're never going to agree politically, church. We're never going to agree, agree about all of this. And, and I, I know it doesn't make sense. It should be easy for us to agree on it, but it is not. But he says, be like-minded, be sympathetic. Listen, some of the stuff we say communicates to people who are in pain. We don't get it. And the minute you communicate with a lack of sympathy, you don't have a chance to share the love and the hope of Jesus Christ. And if you're not concerned about sharing the love and the hope of Jesus Christ, and you're more concerned about somebody seeing your views politically, then you don't need sympathy. But if you want to see a person in pain, find hope in Jesus, the messenger better be sympathetic. Just going to have to be. He says, we should love one another. We should be compassionate and we should be humble. And he says this in verse nine, verse nine. Listen to this. Do not. Everybody say do not. Do not. Do not repay evil with evil. Listen to this one. Most of you won't do the evil for evil, but listen to this, Christian. Or insult with insult. On the contrary, repay evil with blessing. Because to this you were called so that you may inherit a blessing. And listen, Peter wasn't writing to pansies. Peter was writing to Christian people who had been driven out of their homes and persecuted. Why? Because they had been falsely accused by a madman. And these people brutalized them. 
and drove them into a country not their own. And they had every right to be angry and every right to be mad and every right to stomp their foot. And you know what Peter told them to do? Don't repay evil for evil. And don't repay insult for insult. Instead, give a blessing. Listen, we need defensible relationships, church. You need defensible relationships in the world we live in today. And the only way to do it is submit yourselves. Submit yourselves to other people. Stop trying to be right. Stop being unsympathetic. Making sure that we live such good lives, we silence the ignorance of foolish men. How about defensible answers? Right? This is a, a, passage, a passage often quoted in Bible college to explain the need for us to have apologetics, right? Understanding and defensible positions, right? First Peter three, thirteen through sixteen say this, right? Peter says, Who's going listen to this? You know. And this is like whether you're black or white, right? The reality is we live in a world where fear is ramping up. Right? You, listen, you can't watch the videos and not have some disconcert around you. It's, I mean, we've got protest here in our community, right? I went out last night and there were 12 cop cars surrounding the environment and the area in which I lived. Roads were blocked off to where I couldn't get out except by going one direction. Why? Because we're living in a state of fear and of, of civil, right? Of civil unrest. And not just civil unrest, but civil rights unrest. We're living in a completely unknown situation for so many of us. And here's what he says. Who's going to harm you if you're eager to do good? But even if you should suffer, listen to this. If you should suffer for what is right, you're blessed. Do not fear their threats and do not be frightened. But in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord Right? Always be prepared to give. It doesn't say always give an answer. Always be prepared to give an answer. Right? To everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. That's our job. Listen, he finishes up this. But do that with gentleness and respect. Keeping a clear conscience. So that those who speak maliciously against you, go, go back there a minute, that speak maliciously against your good behavior in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. Listen, we need defensible relationships. It's so difficult. Well, listen, we're living in the result of it. It's a very difficult thing to call yourself a Christian, a follower of Jesus, and go to church every week, and then and then have indefensible relationships. That's why a generation of, of young adults are not coming to church. Because their parents chose to have indefensible relationships with them. And listen, I'm painting with a massive brush, okay? The reality is we look at these things as a macro level. And at a macro level, we've got a generation that has fled from the church. Why? Because parents, adults, pastors, elders, right? Who said to students, don't smoke. And then stood outside a church between Sunday school and church and smoked. They had indefensible relationships. They did not consider their behavior. Their behavior had enough power that if done good, could have silenced all of that ignorance. And so Peter says, listen, Persecuted, abandoned, marginalized, lied about, right? 
all of those things. He said, listen, you and I should always be ready to give an answer, right? A defense for what? Being an American, being a Republican, being a conservative, being a Democrat, being a liberal, right? We should always be ready to give an answer for our political stance, our, our assessment of what's taking place in Minneapolis, what's taking place in LA and Atlanta. We should always be ready to give a defense for that position. That's not what Peter says at all. Peter said, you and I should always be ready to give an answer for the hope that we have through Jesus. And we should always do it with gentleness and respect. <laughs> I don't know the last time I saw Christian people debating with gentleness and respect. It always comes with venom and anger and disgust and judgment. It's the same things that happen in the world. The reality is we're, be, we're to be different. We are to be different. Republicans and Democrats think differently. Christians are to act differently. We're to choose a lifestyle that is so good, so full of intrinsic value, that when they accuse us and slander us for doing good, eventually they'll be the ones that are ashamed. Right? We need defensible answers. How about, skip that Ephesians passage. Let's go to the next one there in Colossians chapter 4. Paul sort of summarizes it this way in Colossians 4, verses 5 and 6. Be wise in the way that you act toward outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. And that's, listen, that's what I want us to do today. Make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. Listen, this is an opportunity for us as believers in Jesus to make a difference. To give a defense for our hope. To give people who are hurting hope. Not to defend our position politically. Not to be heard about what we think, about what came first, the chicken or the egg. The reality is, billions of people aren't covered in the blood of Jesus. And if our why is to make it hard for people to go to hell... That's not the debate to have. It's not the fight to fight. Our job is to be wise. To make sure our conversations, right? Show the wisdom of a person who understands what's at stake here. It's not, listen, it's not America that's at stake. Yes, our country is under attack. Our country's been under attack on and off. For 300 years. What's ultimately under attack. Is the same thing that's been under attack. From the very beginning. The destiny of the souls. Of those created by God in his image. Because there's a force of evil in the world. That is not satisfied. With not being God. And his unrelentless attack. And schemes. To draw people away from God. And his love for them. Is what we have to be on guard against. Paul said we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. Listen, our fight is not with the talking heads on TV. Our fight is not with the blacks or the whites. It's not with the Republicans or Democrats. Listen, Christians fight is spiritual. And these spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places, they only have one goal. 
And that's to drag as many people away from Jesus as absolutely possible. And Peter says to persecuted people, people who are upended and don't know what to do. Here's what he said. Man, we got to have defensible relationships. Don't be a buffoon as a husband. Don't be a buffoon as a wife. Don't be a buffoon to your government. Right? Don't be a buffoon when you're in servitude to somebody else. Take advantage of the opportunity to do and act in such a good manner that people can be brought to Jesus without you and I even talking. And when we do get a chance to talk, we need defensible answers. Let our speech be seasoned with great. Paul says in Ephesians 4, you and I should only speak in a way that gives grace to those who hear it in their hour of need. It's not a lot of the talk that's going on in our world today. And lastly, the only reason this works is because we have a defensible Savior. Right? This is the goal, church. Right? Listen to what Peter said, 1 Peter 3.17. He says, for it's better. This is a better thing. If it's God's will to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. Let's go on to verse 18. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. He was put to death in the body, but made alive in the spirit. Listen, the reason why we're asked to have defensible relationships and defensible answers, church, is because that's the position that Jesus took so that you and I could be saved. God's not asking us to do something that he himself has not done. Jesus is not asking us to do something that he himself has not done. Your very eternal security and my very eternal security was created and given to us because Jesus chose to suffer for what was good. And when suffering, when being reviled, did not revile back, didn't pay evil for evil, right? The writer of Hebrews says it this way in a couple passages, Hebrews 9, 25 and 28, nor did he enter heaven to offer himself again and again. That's Jesus. The way a high priest has to enter the most holy place every year with blood. That's not his own. Otherwise, Christ would have had to suffer many times since the creation of the world. But he's appeared once for all at the culmination of the ages to do away with sin by the sacrifice of himself. Just as people are destined to die once and after that face the judgment. So Christ was sacrificed once to take away the sins of many. And he will appear a second time, not to bear sin, but to bring salvation to those who are waiting for him. Listen, that's our goal. That's our why, Tomoka Christian Church. That's our why, Worldwide Church of Jesus. Our why isn't to sway people politically. Our why isn't to sway people into the way that we think. Our why is to make sure that they come into contact with the one who did what he asked us to do, which is live such a good life that it silences the ignorance of foolish men. Because Jesus is coming back. He's coming back. And as Joe said this past weekend, you may meet him for a second, or you may be able to spend eternity with him. And how we act in this season, church, is going to determine 
going to determine the eternity of folks that we know. Because they're looking and watching and they're waiting. And the reality is we have an opportunity here to do the right thing. Hebrews 5, 7, and 9 says this in closing. During the days of Jesus' life on earth, he offered up prayers and petitions with fervent cries and tears to the one who could save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverent submission. Son though he was, he learned obedience from what he suffered. And once made perfect or complete, he became the source of eternal salvation for all who obey him. That's us. That's, that's our hope, church. Listen, Jesus, more than you and me in this season, has had every right to be vocal, to take his stand, to not submit. Because he was right. He was innocent of all charges. And the Bible says that he learned how to obey through what he suffered. We're suffering. Some of you more than others during this season. You're suffering by what you're watching on TV. You're suffering by the video you saw of George Floyd. We are suffering today in our, in our country. And the reality is this, that there's some obedience that we need to learn in that as a church, as Christians, as followers of Jesus. And here's my hope. Listen, and honestly, I don't care. I don't care if you're mad or upset. I don't, I don't, I don't care. What I care about is that your son and your daughter find Jesus. I care that your mom and your dad find Jesus. I care that your friends find Jesus. And I just know the power of a life well lived in that process. And this is an opportunity for Christians to live poorly, speak poorly, and take up undefendable positions. Peter tells a group of people, completely marginalized and abused, take up defensible positions. Every relationship and every answer because your salvation was built upon a defensible Savior. He suffered for doing good so that you and I who wait for him will receive our salvation in the end. Man, church, we have a great opportunity to lend a sympathetic ear, to keep our mouths silent and to do good so that people can come to faith in Jesus. That's my prayer for you. Certainly my prayer for me. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for uh, thank you for your goodness in the midst of all of this chaos. I pray today, as, as uh, Joe prayed this weekend, Lord, that we'll be unified together in mission. And I pray for every person listening today who wants to make this political and wants to make it racial that you'll convict them to make it spiritual and that we won't wrestle with flesh and blood anymore and that we won't hurl insult for insult, but we'll repay evil with blessing and that we will in every home in this, in this city, every home in this county, every home in this state, every home in this country where the name of Jesus is claimed 
that we'll become a people who live such good lives among the pagans that they'll see our good deeds and they'll glorify you on the day of visitation. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.